0: Chapter Two of Chemical Phenomena in Life by Frederick Chapek. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Protoplasm and its chemical properties. During its life and in the course of its evolution, the form of the body and its organs is subjected to a continuous series of changes. But at the same pace, the organism of the individual undergoes chemical changes; its general composition is changed chemical analysis shows new substances formed which at an earlier age were not yet present whereas some substances have disappeared this is the parallelism of morphological and chemical change in the life of the individual chemical investigation however to a certain extent teaches considerably more than morphology does we shall prove this in our discussion of chemical reactions in living matter chemical changes in living substance continue without interruption as long as active life prevails so the chemist has to face great difficulties when examining living matter from his occupation with inorganic matter he will be accustomed to see that no change takes place in the matter under investigation unless an experiment be made we stand before the question as to what may be made responsible for this continuous change of form and of chemical properties inspection with the naked eye could not have brought any solution to this question nor was chemical analysis able to contribute facts of importance only to the microscopical investigation of the cells do we owe our knowledge of the organs of life and here again animal cells have proved to be much less accessible for searching analysis than the cells of plants it was in eighteen forty that hugo von Moll of tübingen drew attention to the important fact that plant cells have the qualifications of life only as long as they contain a slimy layer along the cell wall which layer was at first called the primordial utricle the thorough examination of anatomical facts led Moll and schleiden to the conviction that all the organs of the cell originate in this slimy matter consequently the mucous layer was called protoplasm in the following decades it was fully established that the presence of life is extremely closely connected with the presence of active protoplasm. The physiologists Brucke and Kuhne may be called the originators of the view now universally adopted that protoplasm is the living substance in animals and plants. The general and fundamental properties of protoplasm in both are the same. But it was the merit of the well-known botanist Ferdinand Cohn of Breslau that he was the first to declare, in 1850, the identity of the protoplasm in plant cells, and of the so-called sarcode in animal cells. The chemistry of life may henceforth be called the chemistry of protoplasm. This is our territory when we study chemical phenomena in life. The first work the chemist does when beginning his examination of a substance is to describe its properties before they have been changed by any reaction. We have also to specify the chemical qualities of the substratum of life before we enter upon the effects of reactions between protoplasm and other substances brought into contact with it what is protoplasm chemically so called is it to be considered a substance peculiar to living organisms and responsible for all the unique phenomena by which life is characterized or is protoplasm a combination of different substances peculiarly composed or finally Is there any unknown structure in the mucous matter which we call protoplasm, and should we not prefer to speak, rather than of a substance or of a combination of substances, of a minutely structured organ when we deal with protoplasm? Morphology, however, in comparison with other details of cell structure, strongly uphold the theory that protoplasm is an intricately constructed organ of the cell it does not matter that even the powerful microscopes which the advanced technical perfection of our time has produced cannot show any more minute morphological details in protoplasm than some very small dark granules or scarcely visible drops of liquid spoken of as microsomes. But the exact and extremely regular development in the evolution of the cell organs, as well as the undoubted cooperation of the protoplasm and the nucleus in cell cleavage and fecundation, is the strongest affirmation of the organ theory of protoplasm. In consequence of these facts, we prefer to speak of cytoplasm instead of protoplasm when we characterize the living substance of the cell surrounding the nucleus. Experiment, too, seems to establish such a theory very readily. When animal or plant tissue is minutely pounded in a mortar, the pulpy mass which we finally obtain is far from being an organ or from containing living cells. It is as little a living thing as a watch remains a watch after having been ground down to powder. Notwithstanding this, the component substances must have remained in either case. It is clear that protoplasm is as little identical with its component substances for instance, protein bodies, carbohydrates, etc., as pulverized gold, steel, and rubies are identical with the mechanism of a watch. This consideration must lead us to the conclusion that protoplasm is not a mere orderless, homogeneous combination of different substances or a peculiar substance in itself. On the contrary, it renders it very probable that structural characteristics play a most important part in living protoplasm, perhaps form the essential trait in the organ of cell life. Experimental biochemistry of our days, however, has been able to show that the characteristics of living protoplasm are not all destroyed at once when a living organ is ground to a pulp if care is taken to ward off the effects of microbes which rapidly develop in the remains of the tissues by adding some toluol or chloroform a series of reactions which are quite peculiar to life can be still observed in the disorganized pulpy masses this method of preserving organs which have been minutely ground down is much employed in modern physiology we call it autolysis. It is possible to prove that autolytic mixtures show the same chemical processes as we find in the digestion of food, in respiration, and even in excretion. Therefore, we cannot concede that protoplasm is at once destroyed when it is ground down as minutely as possible. The death of protoplasm is no sudden process. The reactions of life cease slowly and successively, one after the other. Theories which maintain that protoplasm is merely effective in life through its structure are generally classified as the engine theories of life. We see that such theories are right essentially, but that they do not exhaust their subject. They leave unexplained all the phenomena of life which continue in autolytic mixtures. All the theories which lay stress upon the peculiar chemical nature of protoplasm can be called the stuff theories of life. Such a theory was that which was kept in mind when biology first began the investigation of protoplasm. In consequence of this view, analyses were desirable. The analysis of protoplasm should be as correct and complete as possible, in order to show of what kind of substance the substratum of life consists. The difficulty was to collect a sufficient quantity of pure protoplasm for analytical purposes. Ranke and Rodewald, in 1880 tried to solve this important question by an extensive analysis of mucous plasmodium of Fuligovarians. This organism consists of a yellow, slimy matter, exactly comparable to the cell protoplasm of other plants. The result of this famous analysis was to show that protoplasm consists of different organic and inorganic compounds. The greater number of the organic protoplasmatic substances, however, were found to belong to protein matter, sensulato. About one-half or two-thirds of the dry substance of protoplasm can be considered to be protein bodies. Of the remainder, about half were found to be fatty bodies, sugar, and carbohydrates. The other part contained different organic acids, of which amino acids may particularly be mentioned, different organic bases, finally mineral salts of potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Ranke and Rotovald drew from their different experimental work the conclusion that protoplasm could not be considered to be a specific organic substance. It was, rather a complex of various organic and inorganic substances, none of which was new to chemistry. In consequence of these experiments, the two German biologists inclined to the opinion that it was not chemical and substantial properties which essentially characterized protoplasm, but mainly the structure of the protoplasmatic masses in living cells. The impression made by this experimental work upon biologists, both botanists and zoologists, was so great that for a long series of years the engine or structure theory of protoplasm was exclusively the prevailing one the opinion of oscar lowe and some other eminent physiologists that protoplasm must nevertheless contain some peculiar matter which is characteristic of life was scarcely taken up by any textbook authors or university teachers the last decade however seems to have prepared an alteration in the course of the biology of protoplasm As I have already mentioned, chemical methods clearly show that in the pulp prepared by grinding down living organs in a mortar, some vital phenomena continue for a longer time. Therefore, not all the chemical life is destroyed, even if cell structure is as completely as possible annihilated. Consequently, some substances must exist in protoplasm which are directly responsible for the life processes, which do not cease with the destruction of the cell and these substances are characteristic of living protoplasm, for when the cell pulp is heated to the temperature of boiling water, these chemical processes cannot be any longer observed. The remainder of the cells may then be considered as definitely dead. So we must come to the conclusion that, in spite of the ingenious experiments and arguments of Ranke and Rotofold, the comparison between protoplasm and mechanical structure is not quite an exact one. No mechanism is known which would not be destroyed by minutely pounding it, but which is destroyed by boiling water. And on the other hand, chemical alterations are quite usually caused by a raised temperature, but scarcely in any case by simply grinding down the material. When we see that the substances in living protoplasm are so easily destroyed by heat, we are not surprised that the analysis of protoplasm by Renke and rotewald could not detect any constituent parts of living matter. At present, however, it would be possible to carry out exact analytical studies on protoplasm with highly developed methods and with much more success. Nevertheless, the literature of the last years does not contain more than a few reports about analytical work on protoplasm. The great difficulty in such investigations is to procure a sufficient quantity of suitable material. Nevertheless, we possess valuable papers on the chemistry of protoplasm from special research work on animal and plant material. There are results which clearly show the difficulties met with in preparing the protoplasm proteins without any chemical change during the process of separating them. There is no doubt that protoplasm contains highly complex proteins which are very easily split up into more primitive protein substances even by treating them with very dilute alkaline or acid solution, or even by keeping them in a watery solution for a couple of hours at ordinary laboratory temperature. Ranke's opinion was that one of the protein bodies of his preparation, the so-called plastine, was the chief constituent of protoplasm. Later, Etard was fortunate enough to isolate complex protoplasm proteids of a highly variable character. The French chemists proposed to name these compounds protoplasmids. By more advanced methods of quickly drying the cell protoplasm without applying too high a temperature... Zoochemists succeeded in preparing a series of such organ proteids. We cannot but hope that the biochemistry of protoplasm will in this way make considerable progress. The successful investigations on the enzymes marked a very important step towards the discovery of the true chemical nature of protoplasm. A special chapter has to be dedicated to these remarkable substances, the properties of which are eminently characteristic of living matter. The final result of our discussion is that there are many reasons for maintaining that protoplasm really is of a peculiar chemical constitution, and that it does not merely represent a mechanical structure. But we have to concede that the chemical nature of protoplasm is not founded upon the peculiarities of one particular substance which is characteristic of living protoplasm. There are, we are certain of it, a great number of constituents of protoplasm which form the substratum of cell life. End of chapter two.